0: Welcome to Leveraged Lifestyle, the podcast that shares with you the mindset and skill set it takes for you to create your ideal leveraged lifestyle, whatever that might look like for you. Please welcome your host, entrepreneur, world record holder, and globetrotter, Catherine Turner. Welcome, Dylan. Thank you, Catherine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining Leveraged Lifestyle podcast. I... Well, I wanted to actually get you on the podcast for a little while now, but it actually is timing quite nicely with something we've got coming up, but we'll talk about that in just a moment. And um, yeah, I think you've got a lot of just knowledge, wealth, wisdom beyond your years to share with the audience that I think will be of absolute, well, just invaluable, essentially.
0: Thank you. Hopefully.
1: So So, uh, I think... As much as I've introduced you in this introduction, I think it'd be lovely if you gave a bit of a an overview, a short biog of who you are, what you do, and then we'll kind of go from there.
0: D- this is the hardest question to start with. I know, with. isn't I'm it? I'm so bad at, at talking <laughs> about myself. Um, so I'm Dylan Doniccia. As you know, um, I've been trading the markets on and off since the late 90s. I was featured really early on in The Independent on Sunday on the front page of the money section, as one of the country's first online traders. This was back in 2002 when, you know, we had dial-up connections and and all that kind (laughs) of jazz. So it's been an interesting journey. Yeah. But actually, more so than the trading itself being an interesting journey, my attitude, approach, feelings towards behaviours around actions related to money has been a real Mm. kind of um, growth opportunity And where the biggest hurdles have come. So although I've had trading skills for all that time, I haven't always deployed them in the way that they needed to be deployed because I had some real issues around this idea of reconciling, making lots of money Mm. and making a massive difference in the world. In my head, they were always mutually exclusive. Got it. um, Up until a few years ago, which is when it all changed.
1: Yeah, I love that. So I think... Obviously, I'll have introduced you already. And this is always the fun part of like, it's nice to introduce you once we've recorded the, the podcast because I never know quite where it's going to go. And I love the fact that you've already brought in the fact that there was part of you that has always wanted to make a difference, do something, but couldn't reconcile in your head how that works with money. And this podcast, Leverage Lifestyle, I've always talked about. It's leveraging your money, your time, your knowledge. Now, one of the other things that I think is about leveraging is your talents. And just the vision that you have, and I think the lovely thing for you, and since knowing you, is I've known you've always wanted to make money and help other people make money and also make a difference and have other people doing that as well. And I love the fact that now you've really got those two coming together. So I'd love for you to talk about how you leverage money to do the other things as well
0: that you like doing, though, and the difference you want to make. Ultimately, um, and I think you're quite right. I think it is leveraging all of those things: time, money, talent. Um, with respect specifically to leveraging money mm. and capital, mm. I found that um, we uh, and there's there's a, I can't remember who said the quote, but it was something around the lines of um, you know you underestimate what you can achieve in a year. Sorry, we start that again. Go again. <laughs> um, we, under, <laughs> we underestimate what we can achieve in a lifetime, yes. but overestimate what we can achieve in a year. Yeah. And with respect to leveraging money and capital particularly, it is about taking a lifetime view. So wow. how am I going to leverage what little I have right now yep. over a lifetime so that not only can I Make up for any financial misdemeanors in (laughs) my past, of which there were many. Mm -hmm. um, But I can also hit some pretty outlandish, almost ludicrous goals of of wealth redistribution. So, our goal at Legacy Makers is to redistribute £1 billion of capital from the top 1%, who we are playing a part in creating the top 1% by -hmm. teaching them how to trade, um, to the bottom 1%. And we're going to do that through the United Nations. Sustainable development goals. So, yeah. leveraging capital to do it effectively mm. really needs a long view, really needs a lifetime view. And, and almost, Catherine, I would say, a multi generational or multi lifetime yeah. view. Does that, does that make sense at all?
1: Yes, beautiful. And it's interesting. I know myself, my husband Stephen, who's also my business partner, we've been very much inspired by you. Funny enough, the UN Sustainable Goals. That's actually in our business plan and our document there yes. that we want, we're contributing to them as well. So, um, you know, lots of lots of um, insight and wisdom that I've gained from you. And just even just that piece and it being within now our business document um, so that people can see what we're up to and what we're trying to get from it. So uh, for me, I've I've actually always had the view that business can be a force for good. I think you probably have had that, but maybe just not feeling that it could have it was possible. And so what I want to do is go back to kind of the why. So I know if you've talked about, you know, having maybe a bad relationship with money, maybe we can kind of go there because I know it's very much influences what you do now.
0: Sure. Um, So I think if we can roll back even further to perhaps kind of when the unconscious links and Mm -hmm. relationships with money really took a turn for the worse, I would Mm -hmm. say. Um, so my parents were refugees, came to the UK in 1972 after being expelled from Uganda mm. under Idi Amin's regime. And, and actually, none of my story is unique in any way, shape or form. You will have had the same um, troubles in your family. You just have to go back enough okay. generations yep. to find <laughs> those grandparents or great-grandparents or great-great-grandparents that went through massive adversity mm. Um And in essence, shaped the way that you think and you feel and you behave in the world. And so my parents came here in 1972. Six years later, I was born in 1978. Um, And at that stage, you know, my dad had a full-time job. Um, We'd just, in fact, been relocated from a council house in northwest London (laughs) to a council house in Peterborough. (laughs) Um, So the Peterborough Development Corporation was building lots and lots of houses um, Association housing in the late 70s. We'd just been relocated. Anyway, at six years old, I watch or catch sight of a documentary or a news appeal um, for Bob Geldof's first ever <laughs> Band Aid, if you remember. Yeah. Um, Feed the World. Yeah. And I remember th- this, this visceral reaction to what I was seeing on TV. Um, kids who looked Similar to me, Mm. maybe a little bit darker, but very much (laughs) similar to me, Mm -hmm. um, with flies buzzing around their heads, looking in a really sorry state, but with huge bellies. And none of this made sense to me. Oh, and Mm -hmm. naked. Yeah. And none of it made sense to me. And then you saw the naked mum, and it was all... Like, the rea- my reaction, even at six years old, was visceral. I, and, and I can't explain what that reaction was, but mm-hmm. I felt something. Yeah. Anyway, this was November. And I remember then um, we had to do a letter to Santa Claus mm-hmm. at school the following week. And I, yeah. I wrote in my letter, can you send my BMX bicycle to my brothers and sisters in Ethiopia? Um, oh, I'd asked for a racer as well. And I asked him to take the racer. And I'd ask for uh, um, something else, um, one of these um, press button noisy game <laughs> things. And yes. I'd asked him to send yeah. that to basically everything. Anything Take you everything ever that get. I've asked for yeah. um, and send it to Ethiopia. And of course, you know, my mum saw the letter. She called the appeal line oh. and said, um, you know, I know that you're collecting money and clothes, which was the kind of the big thing. The UN were yeah. dealing with all the food parcels and they were collecting money and clothes for everything else.
2: Mm.
0: Are you collecting toys? And she told them the story. And anyway, so they send the press team around. Long, long, long story short. It's not that fucking short, but long story, a little bit shorter. Um, That was, for me, my first exposure to being able to help other people by giving Mm. things away. Yeah. That's the first thing. (laughs) Yes. But secondly, um, knowing that there are people out there who are very, very much worse off than me. Mm. But more than that, having that kind of feel-good factor of helping them. Mm. So it was knowing I could change other people's lives by giving things away. I'll come back to that in a second. Mm -hmm. And the flip side of that was Feeling what it feels like to help somebody and getting all the, I guess, the, is the word mm. adulation? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you've got camera people around and you've got yeah. journalists around. And, you know, this is amazing. And then you're yeah. on the front page of the local paper and, <laughs> you know, mum is just over enamoured. Dad wasn't. so, And I'll tell you why. And it comes back to that first point about giving mm. things away. I didn't actually have any hope of getting the BMX or the racer or the noisy game or any of the other presents I'd asked Mm. for. Um, They weren't even on the horizon. My parents could never afford a BMX or a racer or or these newfangled toys. So my parents then had to go and buy the toys, which they had no money to buy me, but they bought them for the other kids because now you've made a commitment to the press and so on. And so that situation was not only my first exposure to all those things, helping, giving things away, feeling the adulation and the feel-good factor. And you get addicted to that, I think, a bit like Pavlov's dog. Um, but it was also giving things away that I did not have mm. and giving things away that would then result in the detriment of either myself or, in this case, my parents' financial well-being. Yeah. So that's kind of the background as to you know, what led into then another, I'd say, 20, 20, 25 years perhaps of real having periods of my life where I made loads of money and lived, a, a, I guess, a fairly um, wild and debaucherous life, um, <laughs> which I now realise was just me in some way trying to um, exhaust the fumes of a of, of really toxic relationship with money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the flip side of that was running off to Rwanda in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, This was after the TED Talks. I did the TED Talk about trade, not aid, which you would think came from somebody who was a rational human being. And then a year later, I decided to jack everything in (laughs) and go and volunteer for the United Nations in a real fit of, I don't know why everyone's banging on about money. There's people on the other side of the world starving. Yeah. And for 25 years, I had not progressed from the six-year-old Mm. Who had all these visceral feelings around poverty and money and helping and, and, and contribution. Yeah. To the 30 something year old that jacked it all in to, to go, go and, as my dad said, help the poor by being poor, which mm. is never going to be able to do. Yeah. That's kind of a bit of background.
1: Love that. Okay. So that really, I think, helps give massive context. And I think for many people, might start tapping into why they have their blueprint or their default with money and going, oh, yeah, that happened for me when I was little or my parents said this or, yeah, yeah, I've had some strange relationships with money as well for pretty much the same reasons of just thinking, you know, what you don't have, wanting to give what you don't even have away. And yeah, for sure, I completely get all that. So How has that led you to what you do now and then making that connection with, as you say, the TED talk you gave around the trade night? I even remember you talking about that the very first talk I saw you gave. Um, And that really resonated with me because, again, I was like, yes, business is a force for good. We can show that business isn't evil and it isn't these kind of evil corporations that actually business can do good. Um, So it's really interesting that as a concept stayed with me. The other concept that you um, really shared was like you've got to get strong to give strong. And I think that's really kind of, I suppose, where you are now, isn't it? Of Like it's all the things you knew and now it's like, how are we doing that? One for yourself and for the people that you then help, but also how you essentially encourage and inspire others. Like, so one of the things for me is that I want to bring people onto the podcast who inspire others to go and do that because you have been an inspiration for me and me and Stephen. So, um, yeah, how has the piece moved on?
0: Um, so I, even when you said get strong to give strong, I get goosebumps <laughs> as you say it. So I'm wow. so grateful to be here. Oh, this, is, um, this is a really good opportunity for me perhaps to reflect back on some of these things. Because well. I think so often you you go on a journey and you don't really realise you're on a journey because you just live each minute hmm. as you need to, delivering what you've got to do. Yep. And this has been already a great opportunity. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> grateful to be Fantastic. here. Thank you. Um, in terms of kind of... Where the getting strong to give strong peace comes from was after my volunteering stint in Rwanda, where I ended up, I'd already gone there with about £67,000 worth of personal debt, consumer debt, credit cards, overdrafts, you name it. Mm-hmm. I'd been in debt since 18. So my credit rating was amazing. And I just <coughs> continued to yeah. leverage the wrong kind of debt. I, lo- I love that. My
1: credit rating has been great because I've been de- getting in debt from 18. It's crazy, isn't it? It's it, madness. You, I've like five, five credit cards probably in the space of a few years because I had got into credit from 18 from when I signed up to a store card when I was working in retail. Crazy,
0: Amazing, isn't, isn't it? it?
1: Yeah. Amazing the amount of credit and therefore then debt yeah, you can get exactly. yourself into.
0: <laughs> and, and I think this is the key part, actually, just to diverge ever so slightly. If you find a vehicle through which you can get on the right side of the economy. The economy is created on debt Mm. and interest, basically. Um, If you can find a vehicle that will get you on the right side of that equation, Mm -hmm. um, the system that is perceived by so many to be working against them actually can work for you in in Mm. such a great way. And we'll we'll talk about that Mm. a little bit later on. This idea of getting strong to give strong really came from returning then from Rwanda, and it was on the journey back. So I'd gone out there with about £67,000 worth of debt. I gave away out there, additionally, another about £40,000 to various (laughs) projects. My role in Rwanda for the UN, it was for UNECA, United Nations Economic Commission for Africa, it was in essence helping NGOs, non-government organisations and charities fill out funding forms. Mm But all that would happen is I'd be sitting with the director of a a charity, and in this particular instance, it was the charity of a, uh, uh, the director of a chili plantation. Mm. And it was a chili plantation in a small village, about 80 families or so. And um, anyway, they needed $7,000 for uh, an irrigation system. Mm -hmm. And in my complete naivety, we're filling out this form, and, and I'm asking questions which Exposed my naivety. Um, You know, what are the chances of getting the money? Um, What are the chances of getting all of the money? What are the chances of getting the money on time? Um, And so all of these questions were in essence uh, 50 50 50 50 Absolutely, we'll never get it on time. Mm -hmm. So there's a 50% chance of getting 50% of the money that they need And they're definitely not going to get it on time. time And Then my fourth question well, so what's the, what's the ramification? What's the impact mm. of not getting this money? Um, I'm not even going to do the accent because we're on audio and video. <laughs> um, but the response was always, um, well, we don't get the irrigation system or the thing. And then I'd ask again, so what does that mean? Mm. And then uh, they, this would carry on. These naive set of questions would carry on. And the final comment would always be from the, 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 the director of the charity or the NGO or whoever it was that I was sitting with filling out these forms, um, you know, Mr. Dillon, oh, I promise not to do the accent. Um, do I need to spell it out? Yeah. If we don't get the money, we don't get the irrigation system, we don't get a crop, we don't get a harvest, people don't eat, we're fucked, in essence, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people die, people die, families die, old people die, young people die, and the people in the middle don't have anything to eat. And when, when you have that same conversation, once, twice, three times, five times, 10 times, um, there is very little defence against writing the cheque yourself. <laughs> um, you know, in the, in the scheme of things, even when you're 70 grand down, um, wasn't a huge amount of money to get hold of. It was 10% of my existing debt level. Um, It it was there. Mm -hmm. The money wasn't there, but the availability of credit was there. Yes. And so I found myself taking loans for things I had no intention of buying, car loans for cars I never had any intention of buying, so on and so forth. You you get the gist. Yeah. Um, And interestingly, the same adulation, the same addiction to feeling good and feeling like some kind of helper slash rock star slash celebrity, all of those feelings came flooding back. Everything I'd felt at six years old came flooding back at now 2011, so 30-something years old. And 33? 33. And that's that's what made me realise coming home from that experience, I ran out of money, (laughs) I ran out of credit,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I had now gone from five figures of debt so everything from £1 in debt to £99,999 in debt, I'd kind of considered as the same. After ten mm-hmm. grand, everything is the yeah. same because it's still only five numbers. Yeah. <laughs> but now we're, in, we're, now we're in real new territory. Mm-hmm. Now I'm £100,000 plus yeah. in debt. I've run out of money. I've run out of credit. All I had, the irony or the paradox or whatever, I'm numbers, not words, by the way. The irony of the situation was that I had a first-class return... Ticket, so the return leg of my first class ticket on BA back to Heathrow Terminal 5 from Nairobi, which is in Kenya, which is the next country along from Rwanda.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But I didn't have enough money to buy my internal train t- uh, plane ticket. So anyway, I hitched a ride with one of the coffee cooperatives that I had already assisted previously, <laughs> and they took me to the edge of Nairobi. Anyway, they, they got me back to where I needed to get back to. Yeah but it was on the journey home from there thinking, like I've tried to make money, that didn't work. I've tried to make a difference, that didn't work. I'm now in the worst financial position I've been in in my life, which then very quickly degenerated into the worst emotional, spiritual, mental, physical position I'd ever been in in my life. Um, And I don't know about you and I don't know about you, but certainly I find that money and love, if I've got a challenge in my relationships, family relationships, Or if I have a challenge with money, they are the two things that will stop me dead in my tracks. They're yeah. the things that stop me getting up with a bounce in my step. They're the things that keep me up awake at night. They're mm-hmm. the things that stop me even engaging like this. You know, If mm-hmm. I had a relationship challenge right now, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be sitting here because I just yeah. wouldn't have the vital energy to come and share anything with you. Yeah. If I was burdened by massive financial challenges, I wouldn't be able to have this conversation because... Yeah. Again, I don't know about you, but that's all that goes on in your mind. Yep. And so this financial challenge then was the catalyst for a huge amount of other spiritual, physical, emotional challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried all sorts of things in terms of presenting blueprints for trade, not aid. So mm-hmm. that blueprint for the TED talk was always created for governments and businesses to, in essence, you know, not give people fish, not give people fishing rods, but build infrastructure, Through which people can trade fish yeah and so i went back out to the world to offer this blueprint to them but everybody i talked to whether it was big business or whether it was uh charities so oxfam novib trocae USAID, i spoke to all those guys um and even if it was big foundations um and i don't want to name any of the corporations or the foundations because that's not what we're here to do but these are big well-known brands everybody i spoke to the, the single answer was that's not our business right um, you know, we do this, yeah. or we do this, or we do this. But mm. in essence, building trading infrastructure is just not our business. Yeah, and that's where we come onto what we're doing right now. And it was really something that my parents taught me, told me when I got back. Um, is you know, my mum taught me this idea of holistic wealth, and it's something that I'd always known. But she just said, every time you disrespect money, every time you talk about money in a way that disrespects it, in a way that um, does not value it for what it is, mm. and in her mind, it's the most powerful force for good in the world, every time you, you take away from that, you tell the universe, or in, in my mum's world, the goddess of wealth, the Lord Lakshmi, you tell her that you don't want any money, and you mm. don't want any wealth she started to change my perspective around money in that respect Uh, my dad is a very much more practical man Um, you can't give what you don't have yeah (laughs) you have to get strong to give strong Mm -hmm. you know how to make money on the markets you always have So why aren't (laughs) you doing that and why aren't you building an army of people that can help you do that even bigger Mm. and better and and, you know they weren't the exact words but I'm paraphrasing but I remember the, the feeling I got when I heard these words being thrown at me. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's what brings us to, to where we are right now.
1: Cool. Can I ask one thing before we move on to kind of now is, I think mean, because it seems to be uh, a kind of a running theme, I suppose, throughout my life. And maybe it's just, again, I've got this bias towards it, having uh, suffered mental health issues in the past, having family members who are still suffering and just, pretty much everyone I know has been touched by it. Uh, I know you talked about money and love being those things that will knock you for six, do take you kind of out of action and things like that. Is there, or can you think back to one particular thing, apart from obviously you've talked about your parents have been obviously great inspiration to you and, and a drive to do better or kind of work on those areas. Is there one thing that maybe also our listeners could do or look into or advice or wisdom you'd give them to say okay this may happen but this is what I did or this is what I would share to get you to the other side of it or to get find that light again when you're in maybe some darkness.
0: So I, even just to take it upper level in terms of rather than specific guidance mm. not to avoid the question no, no. at all <laughs> um, but I think everybody's situations are, are, are slightly different so yes. giving maybe a, yeah, a yeah. set of actions might not work for everybody but if I can give, give perhaps a paradigm mm. or a principle or an understanding or an interpretation, is this. I think the reason that love and money have the biggest emotional impact on us, positive or negative, by mm-hmm. the way, you know, when you find a new relationship, you're on top of the world and, yeah. <laughs> you know, you are God's gift to men or women because you found this amazing person and mm-hmm. you feel brilliant um, and your, your energy signature just raises, yeah. rises. Um, and the same happens with money. When mm. you're doing really well financially, um, you're on top of the world. Yeah. So I think the reason that they can have such a positive or negative impact on our emotional strength, our emotional mm. power, mm. is because we we assign our self worth to whether we're in a great relationship or not, or whether we're making lots of money or not. So if we're in a great relationship, we have awesome self-worth. And if mm-hmm. we're not, we get dumped or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we have no self-worth. And the same with money. If you're making mm. lots of money and you, you, you've got the things that you want and you're contributing to the charities that you want to contribute to, you can afford the school fees and so on and so forth, you feel great, your self-worth is amazing. When the shit hits the fan financially... It's not now that you just have a, a logistical problem to deal with or a process problem to deal with, but you, you, you allow it to take a hit on your self-worth. Mm. And of course, this is nowhere more clearly seen than in the environment of trading the markets. Mm-hmm. You know, a winning trade and you feel amazing, a losing trade and all of a sudden you consider yourself to be a really bad trader. And if you get mm. two losses in a row, then game over. What am I even doing here? I yeah. might as well jack it in which is why we created the system to flip that on its head. So there's, mm. you know, there's a 96% win rate, which helps with psychology. We'll, we'll come to that later. Mm. So the paradigm is this. Don't allow love problems or money problems mm. to have an impact on your self-worth. You know, it is a nature of the, the, it's the nature of the game, mm-hmm. where if you're playing the game of probabilities, which creating wealth is a game of probabilities, mm-hmm. then... The probabilities are you will win some and you will lose some. It mm-hmm. ties back to something we said really early on about taking the long view. Mm. As soon as you take a thousand year view on your impact on the world, my wife and I were talking about where we think the planet will be in a thousand years, two thousand years, <laughs> three thousand, and we got up to five thousand years and we couldn't even, like our imaginations and perhaps our intellect is just not there. Um, and we struggled at a 1,000 years, to be fair.
1: I was going to say, like, even the last 20 years, I don't think I could have imagined what the world looks well, like men- now, like, and what we tap into and
0: how we live our lives. mental. It's nuts. Yeah. But as soon as you take that long view, mm. and if you can't take a 1,000-year view, take a 10-year view or a 100-year view or 500-year view or whatever it might be. just mm-hmm. slightly longer than you're thinking right now. Most people are thinking about next month's mortgage payment well, actually, most people are thinking about this month's mortgage payment that didn't go out a few days ago because it got <laughs> rejected. You know, this is where people uh-huh. are. They're not even thinking about next month. They're thinking about last month and the bills they didn't pay last month. So yeah. it's so far removed from the long term view. Mm. As soon as you start taking the long term view, you start seeing that it's OK to be growing in a way that you know, includes some. Some down periods, some zero return periods, some Mm -hmm. negative return periods. Yep. Just never assign your financial returns Mm. to your self-worth. It's just not an arbitrary link. Yes. Flip side, when you're in a state of low self-worth, the decisions you make from that state will absolutely fuck you financially. (laughs) So the the reality is your financial decisions... Mm. If they're not catalyzed by low self-worth, should not be linked to your self-worth. Yes. Because if you link them to your self-worth, that low self-worth will start off a chain of reactions that will end, will result in you being in a worse financial position than you started with. Yeah. There's many paradoxes around money.
1: There we go. Excellent. So let's go into now uh, in the timeline of things and how essentially what you learn as a six-year-old from what you then learned from your time in uh, Rwanda and, you know, giving money you didn't have to then your father going, Dylan, you know, trading, what are you doing? Find that money again. And actually, I'd love if you could share a story again that I actually share with other people as well, is about those six figures and how you, rather than putting a minus in front of it, put a positive in front of it as well. Because I think that's just a really helpful
0: concept that people can get as well. And actually, that is the answer to your previous question, (laughs) which was what one thing can people do? So Mm. if you're in massive amounts of debt, whatever that is for Mm -hmm. you, for some people, a £1,000 of debt is massive, whatever that number is for you. I found that when I was £107,000 down, that was the biggest number in my life. And just kind of linking on to this idea of self-worth and Mm. financial misdemeanour, I had a a direct connection between the £107,000 worth of debt and my self-worth. I let it link, which is why I'm so forceful when I say don't let it link. Yes. Because I'd done that Mm. because I didn't know anything different. I hadn't done the development, hadn't done the reading, hadn't done the listening, hadn't met people like you, you know, and so on and so forth. And so what I wanted to do was rather than have it as the biggest number in my life, I wanted that number to be the smallest number in my life because I mm. knew that if I drive all of my decisions from this place of 107,000 pounds in debt and what that meant, yeah. I am as an individual, as a human being, if I drive my decisions from there, I'm gonna go on a, I'm gonna go on a spiral of decline. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to make that number the, the smallest number in my life. But rather than setting a, an, an arbitrary income target, you know, I wanna make a million quid next year, Whatever that might be, mm. um, I needed to see that number,
2: mm.
0: and so I just put a zero on the end. And this was not—I talk about it now as if it was an intentional. <laughs> I thought about it; it was <laughs> conscious, and it actually wasn't. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, you've probably had similar situations. You might have had similar situations where you're in a funk and you're supposed to be working, but all you're doing is scribbling shit down. Um, and I had this habit constantly of logging into all my credit card accounts, all my online banking accounts, and just writing the numbers down and adding them up. Mm-hmm. I still do that now, funnily enough, <laughs> although it just happens to be, um, you know, the, the, there isn't the negative sign in front yes. of them. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, so not a bad habit to create, but at this time it kind of wasn't serving me. Yes. So I'd log into Barclays and Lloyds and Halifax and MBNA, and Capital One, and all these, everything I had. <laughs> write it all down, and as ever, it would come up with you know 107 something or 106 something. It just always fluctuated around that 107 because mm. whatever I paid off was just added back again in interest, and mm. so I just 107 seemed to be the number I hovered around. Yeah, I'm just writing the number down. It's 107 something, and then I just kind of I don't even know what prompted me to do it. I just put a zero on the end, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, like immediately goosebumps as i talk about it that Mm -hmm. number it changed in its meaning for Mm. me it it turned from the biggest number in my life to a really tiny number but it was still contained captured within this one million and seventy thousand pound number and that i decided to make that my income target Mm -hmm. so my income target then became one million and seventy thousand pounds and i knew that if i make that my income target and i hit that target then my debts would be paid off mm. and the other thing was these debts had been created over the court period of you know 10 years yeah so i didn't put a timeline to i want to make this million and seventy thousand pounds in 12 months or 24 months or 36 months mm. i just needed to make that money
1: yeah
0: um so this putting a zero on the end of your debt number it's still something we do at our mad we've got the three-day mad millionaire intensive this weekend in fact <laughs> we still do that exercise for people that are in massive debt as mm. part of the, the debt destroyer model. So, yeah, I, I, a really easy but really powerful thing to do yep. to turn your debt from the biggest number in your life to the smallest number.
1: Yeah, and putting that zero and it's then your income and it's what you're creating not. Because I think, again, you talked about rather than having, rather than, let's say, an, an arbitrary income figure of, you know, I want to be a millionaire or I want to make a million pounds, Uh, or actually just trying to get to zero. Well, it's like, no one wants zero. Correct. Like, well, okay, once I paid off my debt, what do I have? Nothing. Well, that doesn't sound good either. Correct. And and your mind isn't going to get excited by that or inspired by that. Beautiful,
0: beautiful. And it just, it all comes back down to what are the anchors that you are making your decisions from? What are the associations that are driving your decision-making? And the associations of seeing a massive debt number are... You're a failure. You can't get anything right. Mm -hmm. You know, why don't you just fuck off and die? We can edit that bit out. (laughs) Um, But the the, the connotations and the associations with this new income target Mm. are so much more positive, so much more exciting. That's it.
1: Yeah, I think that's it. And it's interesting when you say those things. It's like, yeah, you you can be so horrible to your own self that no one else would ever do to you in some ways. You know, I just think if you can, like, say, give yourself a positive reinforcement of a something that's been so negative and actually turn it that that kind of positive, talk about this positive spin, but actually uh, get specific yeah. about what it then becomes. Okay. So you've got that number, you're working on the debt, you're now trying to, or you've now found this space where you're like, okay, I can make money. I can make a difference. How does that now work? How do you how does that work for you and how are you then using that to help others?
0: So one of the things, I remember meeting John Demartini and I, I think it was around 2012. I'm, I'm certain it was after I came back from Rwanda. Um, and I remember meeting John and I know that he does a lot of work in South Africa and so on. So it's the first time I'd ever seen him speak. And mm. I don't know what prompted, I didn't even know who he was. Mm. Um, I Saw something somewhere that prompted me to click on a link and go through and buy the ticket. Um, I still don't have huge amounts of money. And the irony of getting myself out of debt was that I needed to get into more debt Mm. to get out of debt. Yes. Um, So I I don't know if you remember years ago, MBNA, the credit card company, as soon as you paid off your credit card, they would then send you a, a series, a sheet of five perforated checks. And you could write those checks to yourself. They, in essence, they were a money, they were a money advance. Yeah, yeah. And so I needed to take on another five thousand pounds worth of credit card debt mm-hmm. to fund my trading account with, which was then the the capital I used to then trade myself out of the debt.
2: Yeah. Anyways,
0: part of that that period of time, I went to listen to John DiMartini speak. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like I said, I don't know who he was. I don't even know how I came to click on this link and land on this page or even why I bought the front row VIP ticket for somebody who I didn't even know. Mm. Like the whole thing is so fucking weird. I can't even explain it to you. Anyway, as part of the talk, he then has a story about a young South African boy who came to one of his events and so on and so forth. And anyway, we, we created or I felt a resonance with John Mm. that since you know it's it's developed even further and and Mm. that was a really beautiful moment in time I asked him the question you know how do you reconcile making money and making a difference how do you Mm. reconcile the work that you do that makes you all this money and he lives on a boat called the world and all Mm. this crazy shit that he does (laughs) how do you reconcile all of that with the young guy who came into the back of the room couldn't afford a ticket so then had to leave came back the next year having been able to afford the ticket. Like, what is it within you that doesn't just make you go out to every single one of those children and say, you know what, fuck it, come and come and hear me speak? You know? mm. It's the same thing as, you know, what is it that stops you giving money to the homeless people when you could just resolve their issues by just giving them lots of money? And mm. he then talked to me about this idea of reconciling, making money and making a difference, which I was still in the early days. Like, mm-hmm. I'd only decided to do this in November 2011. We're probably May 2012, something Mm -hmm. like that. Okay. He said to me, look, would it be, um, how many lives do you wish to serve? And just a random number, a billion. Mm -hmm. I don't think I even knew what a billion really was in those days. Who, who does that? Uh, yeah. like, it's a
1: number. Like, it's, it's such and a crazy concept. It sounded concept. great. Yes. It sounded
0: brilliant. Be- better than a million. Yeah, <laughs> correct. A million in the context of 7.3 billion people on the planet isn't exciting enough. <laughs> a seventh of the world is what I want to sh- change yeah. or impact. Yeah. And he didn't flinch, and so I didn't flinch. <laughs> um, and then he said, would it be wrong, unethical, immoral to make one pound? in income, for every life that you wish to serve. So within a a second, he now makes it all right for me to be a billionaire.
1: Yes. (laughs) Which is
0: amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Thanks for
0: that. (laughs) But cheers, John. You can see why I love him so much. Yeah, yeah. Um, But the next question he asked was, would you be able to make the difference to the billion people without the billion pounds? And can you make a difference to the billion people in the process of creating the billion pounds? And again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing these questions, but in essence, this was the conversation. Mm. Somebody took a photo of that conversation. Oh, Amazing. Um, yeah, absolutely amazing. It's a really <laughs> shitty, blurry photo. Um, but I saw somebody taking pictures and I said, would you, did you get a picture and would you mind sending it to me? I'll, mm. I'll email it to you. It's really. Yeah. But in that. In that conversation, he, he established for me the idea that I wanted to serve on a massive scale mm. because that's what came out when he asked me the question. Mm-hmm. He made it all right for me then to be a billionaire, mm-hmm. which was amazing. <laughs> and he then, in a very subtle but powerful way, suggested to me that you're never going to be able to make a difference to those billion people without a billion pounds. Mm-hmm. And actually, you're never going to make a billion pounds without impacting a billion people this mm. whole idea is that you can't make a difference without making the money, mm. and you can't make money without making a difference. Mm. And it becomes this virtuous circle. Pickle. And that is everything that we're about at Legacy Makers. Beautiful. Everything, you know. You, you, we can't make the money that we want to make as an organization without making a difference to people at scale. Yeah. And so our our single corporate goal is just encompasses all of that stuff. Our mm-hmm. goal is to create 10,000 mad millionaires, mad as in make a difference.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And together, we will then redistribute a billion pounds of income from the top 1% to the bottom 1%, because I'm not going to be able to do it on my own. Mm-hmm. And all of that came from this single... Catherine, I would say to you that that was no more than... Well, you know, when you, we you finished a talk, and, you know, people rush around you to ask you questions. Mm-hmm. How long do you have with them? A yeah. minute, two minutes at most. Yeah, At most, at the, at, you know, yeah. at the side of the stage or wherever it might be. Yeah, It was that conversation. Wow. Um, and it had such a huge impact.
1: Impact. Beautiful. Beautiful. So I suppose the answer is probably obvious, but I really kind of want to get your take on it. In the fact that we've talked about the idea of, leveraging and obviously being able to make money and impact others and impact others and through impacting others, you make money. For you, if we're talking about time, if we're talking about money, if we're talking about your talent and knowledge, for you, what do you have to leverage first that's going to make the biggest impact, do you believe?
0: Okay. So
3: it depends on...
0: It depends on your background mm-hmm. and whether you've got anything to leverage in the first place. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, for, for me, it was leveraging my talent
2: mm.
0: first my talent in trading the markets. And that, oh, yep. God, that makes me sound like a right tosser. Well, no, your knowledge in it,
1: the experience you've yeah, gained. Yeah,
0: I, and that's, you make it sound rather less egotistical yeah, yeah. <laughs> than I just did. Um, but, so it was, but I couldn't leverage that without leveraging my credit rating.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think leveraging your credit rating is just as powerful as leveraging any cash you have sitting in the bank, In fact, more so because yep. it's free money. Yep. So I needed to leverage my talent and knowledge and experience in knowing how to trade the markets but needed to leverage my credit rating Mm -hmm. in order to actually be able to leverage the talent because you can't trade the markets with nothing. I mean, you can start learning with nothing, but you can't get anywhere with no capital. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, I needed to make sure that, you know, I was spending appropriate amounts of time doing the immediate things that needed to be done. So at that Mm -hmm. time, I remember, although I was trading the markets, of well, you can't pull any profit out because you reinvest the profits for the compound effect. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm working at a factory, mm-hmm. sticking flipping lipsticks onto the front of the Cosmopolitan magazine. Um, <gasps> Amazing. I, so I did not know this. Yeah, I, and crayons on Thomas the Tank Engine oh, cartoons of, of, of and course. all sorts of stuff. <laughs> um, at the same time, I'm attending the Birmingham Property Meet mm-hmm. once every month on a Tuesday. And I hear about this thing called HMOs and rent-a-room allowance and spare room. And I remember coming back and putting an advert on spare room for the room that I was staying in at my parents' house. I wake up like two mornings later, um, I check the thing, and it's like got, I don't know, 27, 28, 29 responses. That led to me then renting out the room I was staying in at my parents' house, moving into (laughs) my brother's old room, rented out my brother's old room, and then moved into my sister's old room. In your in your family home, in my mum and dad's home, they are. When 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 I say that they've been fucking amazing, I can't even tell you. Like that's such a huge underestimation. So if it's not too much of a cop out, it is to leverage everything, all of the time, Mm -hmm. for as long as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. And I think that people put things off too easily. Oh, I won't start trading the markets until I've saved up. A grand or two grand or three grand or until I've built my property portfolio or until I've launched my Amazon business or until I've got an outsourcer or until I've given up my day job or until whatever. I see a fucking pink and blue pig flying. People procrastinate <laughs> too much. People put shit off for too long.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And particularly when it's money related, mm. trading related, investment related. Yeah, because the, the, the misconception is I can't do that until I have any money. But the challenge is, you'll never get any money until you do that, mm-hmm. and so you have to go hell for leather. And the worse position you're in, the more hell for leather you have to go. You know, if you're in a yep. really shit position, you shouldn't think twice about working 18 or 19 hours a day and sacrificing on some sleep. I know that that's a massive no-no these days, but if, you, if that's what you've got to do, and you need to work three jobs and then come home and mm-hmm. do your trader training module, or your leverage lifestyle module, mm-hmm. or your property training module, or your Amazon business module. You fucking do it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's what you do. Mm -hmm. And I think that this whole, you and I both come from outside of the financial freedom, personal development industry. Mm -hmm. And and (laughs) you you will have seen this also, I'm sure. But there is the, the message of get this without doing this is so prevalent. You know, get this without the heartache and the trouble and the time, get this without having to borrow more money or getting more debt or need any money of your own. Get this without the pain is, I think, such a prolific message Mm -hmm. in the world of personal development and financial freedom Mm. that people just want to bake fucking blueberry muffins (laughs) and then create a course about blueberry muffins and then think they're going to get seven figures. And maybe one in a hundred might do, mm-hmm. or one in a thousand might do. Mm-hmm. But actually the way that the majority, you, I, you, and I consider us all the same, we're all the majority. Yeah. The way that the majority create ridiculous levels of wealth is to leverage all of it as much as you can yeah. for as long as you can. Yeah know that that was not one answer but
1: no i I, actually uh, it's it went a different way than i kind of thought but actually encompassed kind of everything so actually (laughs) yeah i have a
3: beautiful
1: beautiful summary there (laughs) and i think i think that's the thing when i kind of talk about the fact that you can be leveraging your time i.e having virtual assistants, for example doing some of those tasks that there's only 24 hours in a day and you do need some sleep at some point it's leveraging your money to invest in uh, the stock market, to invest in forex, to invest in property, whatever it might be. It's investing your knowledge into sharing that knowledge or whatever it might be, uh, or your talent in things. But actually, if like you say, you can do all of those things, which you can mm. do all of those things, why would you not? Just because of the biggest impact it's going to have. Yeah. Um, no, and I'll a compound. Up.
0: Yes, you know, it compounds when you're, you know, when you've got, when you're renting out two rooms in your parents' house, <laughs> you're trading the markets. Yep. you're sticking lipsticks onto Cosmopolitan magazine. Um, and you're still spending time going to events like the John Demartini event and mm. the property meetings and so on and so forth. Yeah. When you're doing all of that in the immediate term. It just feels like, oh, my God, this is not getting anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm spending money on event tickets that I don't have. Mm -hmm. I'm making next to nothing on the markets because even 20% as a percentage of five grand is is only a grand a year. So (laughs) in real terms, that's not going to get you out of a hole. Um, You're earning, I don't know, 0.03 pence per lipstick on a magazine. So that's not really... So in isolation, Mm. all of these things don't really seem like they're adding much to your life or much to your finances or much Mm. to your wealth, but they all compound and grow at the same time. So within Mm. a year or two years or three years or four years, Mm. the results are markedly different. And This is why you get so many people in the personal development world, in the financial freedom world, you know, five, seven years in Mm. and still in the same shit that they were mm-hmm. five or seven years in. But the challenge now is they have less money than they had. <laughs> uh, their relationships are now not as good because yeah. they've got people in their lives watching them do all this stuff, but only tinker around the edges. Mm. You know, go to the free events, but don't invest in the courses, or go to the free events, invest in the courses, and then don't do the course. Yeah. You know, all these things. I just sent an email from somebody um beginning of the month. So our subscriptions come out on the first of the month. Mm-hmm. And there was a lady who joined a, a couple of months ago and, you know, we had huge long conversations about whether she should join and what she's doing and what else is going on in her life. And, you know, it takes an hour a week. This is not massively time intensive. Uh-huh. And we decided in the end that actually it was the best thing for her to do to give it a go. Yeah. Fine. Give it a go. Um, this lady, and I'm not, obviously not going to mention it. She hasn't logged in once. We're two months in Mm -hmm. and she's asking for a refund on the subscriptions,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: which is fine. Ask. If you don't ask, you don't get. Mm -hmm. But her excuse is life got in the way. And here's the reality. What she did was typical of what most people do, which is they they try and decide by using the brain Mm -hmm. and then they execute with the heart. Mm -hmm. So she poured so much rational and logical thinking into deciding, should I join the program or not? Mm -hmm. It was, you know, I need to get this decision right. So she was deciding with the brain Mm -hmm. and then she executed with the heart Mm -hmm. because she was just all over the shop, let life Mm -hmm. get in the way. The same problems and the same challenges that she had before she met me and our team, she has now, Mm -hmm. except she's just got that with an additional bit of oh, my God, I'm just a bit more shitter, if that's even the right phrase, because Mm -hmm. it's not a phrase, but I'm I'm a bit shitter because I signed up for this thing that I then did not complete. Yes. And most people do that. They think, they decide with the brain and execute with the heart. Mm -hmm. If she had followed her heart, followed her instinct Mm
2: -hmm.
0: to either join the program or not join the program, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: which is a really quick, immediate decision, I'm either going to join or not join. Yeah. The decision needs to be quick. Mm. The execution needs to be slower, more methodical, more scientific, more process-driven. Mm-hmm. So decide with the heart, but execute with the brain. Mm. Most people do it the other way around. They try and make this decision using rational thought, mm. pros and cons lists. Yeah. Can I afford it? Can I not afford it? What if it works? What if it doesn't work? What will my wife say? Mm-hmm. What will my husband say? <laughs> All these things. Yeah. And then they make the decision, yeah, I'm going to join the program. And then it all falls to shit because that's not where the work ends. That's where the work begins. (laughs) But most people pour over the decision and put so much emotional time and energy Mm. and logical thought into the decision Mm. that they're spent by the time it comes to execution.
1: Wow. It's really interesting. Um, I was mentoring someone yesterday actually on our, our Idol Collective Mastermind and he knew what the decision was. But he said, I've been procrastinating for about a year on what to do next in terms of uh, where he takes his investment yet. He's got now a pot of money. And actually, funny enough, kind of thinking about, you know, talking about being in debt and like, you know, having to get into more debt and things like that. Sometimes when you've got some money on your side, it's the worst thing that could actually ever happen to anyone because it's like, well, this is my pot of money now. What if I get it wrong? Like, what if I do the wrong decision with this? And actually, the likelihood is your gut's already told you the thing to do. And once you do it, it's like, okay, chocolate, vanilla, choose yeah. your ice cream flavor, whatever. Cause actually in the end, whatever you do with it, it's, it's the same thing's going to happen. Like just actually then execute and take the thing and do it. Um, that's really interesting how you, that just kind of comes around, I think so often. Um, so one of the things, let's talk about kind of how it all works, because I think, you know, we've kind of, we've kind of talked around it a little bit about, it. we've talked around your story and how you got to where you do and what you do, what, what do you do? What? How do you help others now leverage their capital using your knowledge?
0: So we've, there's a, a, a few elements of, of the of of the the business, I guess. Mm-hmm. Our ultimate goal is to create ten thousand mad millionaires, millionaires who make a difference. And the entry point into that is our Mad Millionaire Method Beginners Class. Mm-hmm. And in essence, we teach a, a unique way of trading the markets. And I, everyone everyone's way of trading the markets is unique. Why <laughs> wouldn't ask be? <laughs> um, but the uniqueness is this, that um, I, and I've been teaching for a few years, mm. and you know that after a couple of years of being in the industry and teaching, I stopped teaching, mm-hmm. and we pulled our course off the shelves, and I stopped teaching for two years whilst I went back to the drawing board. And the strategy that we had initially was the same strategy I'd used and I'd used for years, um, was basically a, what's called a nightly strategy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you... Sit in front of the charts every night for one hour uh, when the New York market closes, so you're about 9.30, 10 o'clock, family's in bed, grab yourself a glass of wine, get on your charts, it's going to take you about an hour, mm-hmm. place a trade or don't, and job done. Yep. And you could create anywhere between you know, a percent and a percent and a half or two percent a week. So really good returns yep. um, for not much... Time invested. Yeah. Also it seemed. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I realized after, and actually it wasn't two years, it was about 17 or 18 months that we were selling the course for. Mm-hmm. And in that time we'd scaled massively.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But I realized that as our numbers get bigger, I'm less able to just keep people on track. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you've got 300 or 400 or 500 students. Mm-hmm. Now they're split over two or three WhatsApp groups and so on and so forth. and <laughs> yeah. You lose track and so on. So yeah. this idea of me not being able to be the personal trainer started me thinking on why, why are so many people joining the course, starting the course, and either not finishing it
3: mm-hmm.
2: or
0: finishing it. And then after a few months of trading, just giving up Mm -hmm. and not bothering. Mm -hmm. Because it turns out that actually what I was telling people to do was no different to what a personal trainer might tell you to do. Mm -hmm. You know, a 100 calorie deficit a day and 50 sit-ups a day will get you a six-pack in 12 months. In a room full of individuals who all want a six-pack, who is not (laughs) going to take your offer up? Hmm. What? You mean all I have to do is not have the blueberry muffin and do 50 sit-ups every morning? And you're telling me I'll have a six-pack in 12 months? That's all you have to do. It sounds easy, but it's going to be a challenge. No, 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 I can fucking do it. You don't know how much I want this six-pack, Dylan. All right, be warned. Yeah. And that's what was happening. Mm. So in principle... The, 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 it sounds fantastic. Yeah, put the kids to bed, put my partner to bed, put the dog to bed, grab a glass of Malbec, get in front of the charts and have an hour's trading. Yeah. That's my time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> or me time. Always. Me time, yeah.
0: But the reality was it was the same as asking people to not eat the blueberry muffin and do 100 sit-ups or 50 sit-ups every, a day, day. Every day. Yeah. Monday awesome. to Thursday. Yeah. So no more nights out after work. Mm-hmm. Uh, no more cinema nights. No more date nights. You know, None of that stuff, mm. um, which is fine you know, if you're boring old sod like me, then all of that is cool and you (laughs) can do that. But for most people, that's quite impossible. Mm. Especially when we started them off in those days with a hundred pound trading account, Mm -hmm. which meant that their winnings were a pound or two pounds a week.
1: Come on, keep going, see that six pack, yeah. Correct,
0: (laughs) keep going, see that six pack. (laughs) Yeah. and this comes back to something we talked about earlier. You know, in the early days, the results are small. That's mm-hmm. the nature of compounding. Yeah. Anyway, I, my interest is not in making money through course sales, I, yeah. al, albeit we do have a, a, a brilliant academy. And it's uh, I'm very, very grateful for the revenue-making in the academy. It's not, yeah. I'm not dismissing that at all. You can see my mum's learnings coming yeah, yeah, in, yeah. can't you? No, even, it. even on the brink of <laughs> yeah. disrespecting the money, I'm like, no, 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 fuck, fuck, fuck. Don't, it. Don't yeah. say it. Don't even say it. So, look... Um, Actually, yes, my interest is in building a phenomenally profitable yes. trading academy. But actually, our success is measured on the number of students, not that just join the program, but join, complete,
2: mm-hmm. and remain
0: profitable for the first 12 months. Yeah. Um, and so far that's you know, that that drive is really working. We have a huge okay. completion rate, we have a huge, really good success rate. Our students, we have a WhatsApp group where they post all their results and so Lovely. on. So that's the entry point. Yeah. It is learning how to grow your capital in an hour a week. So the new hour strategy week. is not an hour a day, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's an hour a week, on, just on a Monday. Yeah. Or uh, any, any time between Monday 8 a.m. and Tuesday 8 p.m. Okay. There or thereabouts. Wednesday yep. lunchtime, a, a push. A push. But in essence, it's an hour a week, not yep. an hour a day. Yeah. And also... The, the psychological impact of the methodology is positive because we don't we don't take a punt on which direction the market is going or not. Mm-hmm. We basically take a punt on. Or I shouldn't use that word. Take a trade on. <laughs> <for> thinking bets. <laughs> um, in essence, we're saying you know the market will remain in this range. Yes. Which is a much easier way to trade. Mm than trying to decide where you're going to get in, where you're going to get out, where your stop loss is going to be. You know, instead of working on that yeah. kind of, well, what's the word? Scale. scale. We're yeah. working on that, that scale. scale. Got so it. the win rate is much higher. I mean, last yeah. year, trading year 2018-19, um, I generated 23.3% returns, legally tax-free. Mm-hmm. So 23.3% gross returns. Thank you very much. Uh, from <laughs> Yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, from 109 positions in the market mm-hmm. and 105 of those were wins, maybe 104. We either had five, five losses or four losses. Okay. I can't remember which now. Um, but in essence, 109 positions, yeah. 104, 105 winners yeah. and you know, a small handful of losers. So
1: kind of taking a couple of positions a week then, does that mean? Two positions
0: yeah. a week. Cool. And the, the idea is that because we're saying to the brokerage, we believe price will be in this range between, say, £1 and £2. Yeah. That's actually two different positions. Mm -hmm. So what we're saying is price will be less than £2. Mm -hmm. That's the first bet. Mm -hmm. And the second bet is price will be above £1. Yeah. But one of those bets is always going to win, which means your success rate is already at 50%. Yeah. Now you just need to tip the odds of success in your favour by a percent or two. And over the long term, you'll keep winning. And our win rate is 96%. So yeah. Fantastic. That's kind of that's how people get started with us. Join the like beginners class in essence.
1: Nice. Excellent. We're gonna go on a bit later about how people can find out more about you and what you do, if they like that idea. I think the interesting thing for me is, and to give a bit of background about how we got to know each other, is that very much when I first saw you talk, this was when back when, like I said, you, you kind of turned off the, the teaching but this was when you first was doing the, the, the trading teaching and the kind of the nightly method. October um, 21st,
0: 2013, oh, I think it was.
1: Boom, lucky at guy. go. Um, I'm going to write that down. And so uh, I have, was about to actually just leave my job on the 1st of November and Steve was still in his and I saw just how your brain worked and very much like it's very similar to, to Steve's, his numbers and he gets it. Although I know your methodology works for people who aren't necessarily... I'm not like a you know, quote yeah. unquote numbers person. Um, but for me, I was already looking at property and Amazon, and I just, I was like, not one more thing for me, but oh, maybe I'll get Steve to mm. do, uh, leverage that out. Um, and so the, I think I felt like for me and for Steve, it was very much that first avenue for him to start thinking about investment, about actually training in kind of a wealth creation model that wasn't, you know, isn't a school or a university or things like that. And I think, you know, whatever that might be for different people, you know, people maybe get property, bricks and mortar, great. People get the stock market because they see businesses and they get that. And I think whatever your kind of route is, I think it is about having some sort of investment model where you're investing, creating assets. Obviously, you know, there's some awesome pros, you know, tax-free legally, um, one night a week, all of those things that actually couldn't be doing a property one night a week sort of thing. So I, I love that. And for me, it's about leveraging your knowledge to help our listeners as well, kind of leverage that from you as well. So, um, but we're going to talk on to how we can leverage you even more in just a moment. So I love that. One of the things I uh, always like to ask my guests as well, this is Leverage Lifestyle. What do you leverage in your business? What are you doing in your business compared to either personal or business-wise, that you're leveraging out and saying, no, actually someone else is better at doing that than me.
0: So um, it, there's a couple of things. And it might, this, might, so, this not, might not be the answer that you're, that you're looking for, but I'm going to give it anyway. Um, give it anyway. <laughs> do you know the thing I've leveraged most recently, and I'm going to say recently, the last couple of years, mm-hmm. is number one, consistency. Mm, okay. And what I mean by that is, um, when when I found, so I tested this trading strategy for mm-hmm. a couple of years, you know, whilst not teaching it, yes, or not teaching any trading at all, um, and when I knew it would work, I'd been testing it for a couple of years on a live trading account I've got that has all sorts of activity going on inside it, and I do all sorts of stuff inside mm-hmm. this account. And what I what I needed to do was to have a brand new account that would isolate the results of just this strategy. So that mm-hmm. I could be the guy who was able to log in on the beginner's class to say, these are all the trades I've taken in this account using mm-hmm. this strategy. These are the results. Nothing else goes on in this account. We call that the community account.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And once I had that account and I knew I wanted to take this to market, um, I made a commitment to myself to not be distracted mm-hmm. by anything else for the first 12 months now our property portfolio i'm not a property investor but we do store our money in property that's already you know that's as systemized as can be a lot of the properties are on long-term leases so we don't Mm -hmm. there's no stress around that we also have a gold and silver bullion buying club Mm -hmm. that is as systemized as can be i don't need to do anything with that it all runs out of europe so that's fine So I now had an opportunity, having systemized the rest of my world, Mm -hmm. to focus just on building the trading academy. Mm -hmm. And I needed to leverage consistency Mm -hmm. for that. So consistently posting, Mm -hmm. consistently running beginners classes, Mm -hmm. consistently supporting existing students, consistently Mm -hmm. sending out the trades that I take every week, consistently sending out my view on the charts and so on. So there was loads of stuff I needed to do, to deliver on this vision of growing the trading academy. Mm. And we wanted to get to £20,000 a month in subscriber revenue by the end of the first 12 months. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad to say, we be careful what you wish for, actually, (laughs) because we hit £20,000 precisely in the final final month of that first year, year. which in fact was last month. This month's the first month of our financial year, Um, which makes you think, why did I not just... Why did I not set myself a bigger target for yeah. anyway, <laughs> What I needed to do was to figure out what, in essence, could I do personally that nobody else could do mm-hmm. and that I could do consistently within the kind of the the parameters or the constraints of my existing life. Mm. And it was, you know, two posts a week, mm. one beginner's class a week. We could launch a course every month, Mm -hmm. and by the end of the 12 months, we'd look to have X number of subscribers, Mm -hmm. and I could do these three supporting services. Mm -hmm. And so what what I'm getting at here is, once I understood that I wanted to grow this, and this was what I'm going to focus on for the next 12 months, because there's other things in play, Mm -hmm. I then needed to figure out how I could do it. And this is about deciding with the, with the, with the heart. Mm-hmm. I know I want to take this out to the world in a big way. So mm-hmm. decision made. Yeah. And then executing with the brain. Yeah. And saying, how? What, how and yeah. what am I going to be able to do over the next 12 months consistently mm-hmm. that will help me to leverage the talent that I have for trading and teaching other people how to trade? Yeah. And I think that's the piece that so many of us fail on and Mm -hmm. i've certainly failed on it in the past is that i know i want to do something Mm. i don't understand perhaps at the outset quite what that's going to take and so therefore i very much overestimate what i can do in a year and underestimate what i can do in 10 years yeah but understanding that i needed to do be consistent in my actions Mm -hmm. led me immediately to understanding or deciding what actions can I be consistent in, and getting rid of all the rest? Yes. Um, and this sounds stupid, but there have been um, so I've there been things that I've had to stop doing, um, which I really enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Things like cooking. Okay. So my wife and I, um, we use the service. I think I mentioned it to you before. Mindful Chef, really good vegan vegan meals and. It seemingly is the easiest way to prepare home-cooked meals ever in the world. You get a brown bag with a recipe card and instructions, ingredients. <laughs> yeah. You just do it. You know, it's Make 40 it, yeah. minutes. Yeah, um, We outsource that to my mother um, <laughs> because that was now, you know, 40 or 45 minutes five times a week that I didn't really have anymore mm-hmm. because all these other things were just uh, taken over my entire life. Yeah. Um did that cost us a bit of money that we had not budgeted for? Yeah, of course it did. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't budgeted to pay my mum to cook my evening meals <laughs> at the age of forty something, you know. Um, but that that initial cost was an investment mm-hmm. in the longer term vision. Yes, and we were making those initial investments, and that but you know the burden of that cost came before the first subscriber came. Yes, that's okay because. That's the nature of investment. Mm-hmm. You put something in yep. to then get something out that's bigger at a later date. Yeah. So consistency is what I leveraged, but it was very much a, a scientific a process as it could be.
1: Right. Uh, a couple of things I want to bring out of that. So I love the fact that you brought up consistency. So uh, not last week's episode, the week before this episode was all around optimising your routine and actually, probably the one word I probably missed out of that episode was then creating it consistently yeah. and doing that routine consistently to test it, to review it, and then see. So, not just do it for a day or two and then go, oh, that didn't work. Um, actually, giving it some consistency oh. and longevity
0: first. Love that. Absolutely. And having a way in which to track that, I think, is really mm-hmm. important.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, well, I know you as kind of numbers and money mm. man, tracking is so important to you, so. <laughs> and I, th- I think that's. With anything we're doing in business, if we're not tracking, if we're not measuring, we're not managing it. And therefore we don't know, is it the right thing to keep doing equally? Because there's something in knowing when to keep going and to get through those hurdles and get through the challenges. And whatever comes up in being your own you know, investor, being a business owner, being an entrepreneur, there are going to be many hurdles you come across. But equally, there's something in also knowing when to quit if it's not right, but equally giving something long enough to kind of, to oh, know that
0: as well. Goosebumps when you talk about that, <sighs> yeah, really, really goosebumps. That's so so powerful.
1: Excellent, and and then one of the other pieces there, you talked about actually investing in something before you've seen the return come mm-hmm. in, and I think that an interesting thing that comes up, uh, and people know me for going on about it, so I'm sure they'll forgive me, but is your virtual assistants and having a team and building a team around you, whether that's your mum, for example, who can then cook those meals for you, whether that is a virtual assistant in the Philippines, as we have. And it is saying, OK, well, that's however many pounds per hour or whatever. And I haven't quite earned that yet. Or I can fund that through my day job to start with or my part time work that I do to fund it or other investments I've made. But actually, equally, I just see so many businesses fail or stop or not get further because they forgot the fact that they had to invest first and, and forgetting that piece. So whether that's investing in your knowledge, uh, whether it's investing in a course, whether it's investing in an academy, a mentor, or a, whatever it might be, or just simply a team member or a, a virtual assistant, especially our virtual assistant, £3 per hour. You can find that. You can.
0: It's possible. And do you know what? I don't think it would matter if you had, if you had to find £30 an hour. Mm-hmm. If you value the outcome as much as you say you do, mm-hmm. you will fucking do anything to get there. And I think that... Um, and this is with massive respect to everyone listening <laughs> today and uh, ad Infinitum. And I was guilty of this, which is why I guess I speak with such um, feeling about it. I think that too many people tinker around the edges. Mm. Um, I remember speaking to an old business I was starting up, um, was nowhere near ready for a non-executive director. (laughs) But in my infinite lack of wisdom in those days, um, I took on a non-executive director who was the ex-MD of Canon UK, a lovely, amazing guy called (laughs) Andy Vickers, brilliant, brilliant guy. Anyway, um, during my conversations with him, we spoke about a couple of things. Um, And one of the things we spoke about was this idea that the the laws of physics suggest that when you're playing pool or snooker, Mm -hmm. um, when you hit a ball on the cushion or towards... A ball hits the cushion, Mm -hmm. what angle does it come off at? Okay. It comes off at the angle at which it hits. So if a ball hits a cushion at 45 degrees, it's coming off at 45 degrees. Okay. Okay. And so, and this is slightly hard to do um, without visual aids, but yes. if you imagine a, a, a line that in essence is vertical, mm-hmm. and that is the direction at which you go towards your goal, you're heading down <laughs> vertically. Yep. When you bounce, and you don't know when the bottom's going to come, and this is particularly related to investment investing mm. in things that don't, don't give you an immediate return, mm-hmm. it's also particularly related to people who maybe find themselves um, leveraging their credit rating mm-hmm. um, more than they feel comfortable to. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is people that are taking on more debt than they're comfortable taking on because you're in this stage of development right now. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, if you, if you go vertical, you will hit the bottom mm-hmm. and you will bounce back vertically. So your bounce back is so much quicker
1: Mm, because you
0: went in as hard and as fast as you could with no fear. Yes. And you you did what you had to do. Mm -hmm. You took on the extra debt that you needed to take on. You Mm -hmm. found the £3 an hour or the Mm -hmm. £30 an hour or the Catherine or the Dylan or the Rob or whoever. Yes. You found the resources you needed to find. Mm -hmm. You went in fearless. Mm. You decided with the heart. You executed with the brain. And you said, fuck it. I'm having it. Mm Mm-hmm you did not know when the bottom was going to come. And for some of you, you might not know when the bottom is coming. You might still feel like you're heading south really quickly. But rest assured, the angle at which you hit the bottom is going to be the angle at which you come back. And so many people enter this journey of personal development, thinking that they're going in hard and fast, but tinkering around the edges. So if you imagine now a much shallower curve, you know, Mm. almost a curve that looks from the side like a saucer Mm -hmm. because somebody's gone in really shallow. They've kind of skirted around a place where they think is the bottom, but it's not really the bottom. So they don't get the bounce back. And then they kind of have this slow trajectory upwards and it's not sharp enough upwards to keep them heading upwards. So they're Mm -hmm. very quickly tipped back. And we we teach this at the three-day Mad Millionaire Intensive. When you go in hard and fast, Mm-hmm. You will come off at the angle that you went in at. And there's going to be certain projects that you go in hard and fast, exactly as you say, mm-hmm. that you end up having to quit. Mm-hmm. Most of the projects that you take on, especially if you take everything on at the same time, which is my personal paradigm. That's the way that I operate. I mm-hmm. know that, you know, we've got mentors that talk about focus on one thing until you master it and so on and so forth. Yeah. That's, that's one route. Mm-hmm. F- fabulous. hmm But I was in so much shit Mm. at such a late stage in my life. You know, I wasn't mid-20s with a million-pound property portfolio. Yep. I was mid-30s, 107 grand down, with literally totally unemployable, (laughs) unless you wanted me to stick lipsticks onto Cosmopolitan, (laughs) um, with, you know, a limited amount of credit Mm. that I could now leverage, more credit card debt. Yep. A free roof over my head and the support of my parents. Mm. And, oh, by this stage, I'd met Priya as well, thankfully. Thank. Thankfully, (laughs) December 2010, and then we met in January 2011. Mm. But, um, and whenever I think about it, she just sends me off, so I've forgotten what I was saying. There you go. You're all in. You're all in. (laughs) All in, yes. All in. All at once. All in. And I think you must. And the later you are in your life, yes. the more you have to take on all at once because you just don't have the decade to build a property portfolio and then a decade to build your trading account and then a decade to build an e-commerce business. <laughs> you don't have that time. Yes. So do it all now. Yeah. Um, one of the things, this is really important. One of the things we teach at the Mad Millionaire Intensive mm. is, and that's our three-day, what would you call it, a, fl- a flagship program maybe, okay. but it's a three-day <laughs> program. One of the things we teach is I'm a real simple individual and because I want (laughs) to do everything all at once, Mm -hmm. I have to reduce down the things I'm doing. And what I mean by that is I've got three blocks of activity. Mm -hmm. One block of activity is my nest egg activity, which is basically our bricks and mortar. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Then at the other end of the spectrum is our trading Mm -hmm. activity. And what I mean by that is that's my wife's, um, she does a tattoos, eyebrows and yep. liner and lips and all that. So the trading activity could be her studio. Yeah. Trading activity could be my training business. Mm-hmm. Trading activity could be me actually trading money in the market. Mm-hmm. Trading, trading activity is also, um, we've got some properties that are on a lease option, so mm-hmm. not bought properties. Yeah. That would form part of our trading activity. Got it. So this is where we make the money. Mm-hmm. This is where we store the money mm-hmm. and multiply the money. Yeah. And then in the middle, we have a hedge, mm-hmm. this insurance protection. So our yeah. bullion program, yeah. the Gold and Silver Bullion Buying Club, mm. sits in the middle to protect our property portfolio and to um, provide liquidity for our trading businesses in the event of a market crash. So when I talk about doing everything all at once,
3: mm. what
0: I mean is not Take on every single trading business that you can think of that's offered to you at once. I'm not saying buy the rug doctor franchise and then buy the oven cleaning franchise and then do, uh, you know, then then launch a rent to rent business and then an e-commerce business and all sorts of, you know. Yeah. What what I'm saying is do everything that you need to to create wealth. Mm -hmm. So have some form of nest egg strategy. Yeah. Have some form of hedging slash insurance strategy. Mm-hmm. And this is bricks and mortar. This yeah. is gold and silver. There yeah. is nothing else. Yeah. Not a financial advisor. This <laughs> is not financial advice. But there is nothing else. Bricks and mortar, mm-hmm. gold and silver. Yeah, And that is all fueled by yeah. your trading activity. Yeah. That could mean leveraging your talent yeah. to sell a course or mm-hmm. to coach and mentor. That could mean leveraging your skills to mm-hmm. draw eyebrows. Onto people's faces. Yeah, that could mean um, trading the markets mm-hmm. online. That could mean any anything that brings you in income. Yes. Yeah, and then that flows backwards through your gold and silver and into your bricks and mortar. Beautiful. So you can do everything all at once. But what I mean is, do everything that will allow you to create real, lasting, and sustainable and redistributable wealth.
1: Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay, this is some quick fire time now uh, with Dylan. And I am going to do a bit of kind of my favourite questions that I like to ask okay. most guests. So we've, we've talked probably about a few of the people who I think will come up on this list. But who or what inspires you? Um,
0: do you know what really, really fucking inspires me? <laughs> Go on. Is the, the business owners you know, the global business owners and the global brand owners who place at the centre of their missions the idea that they're only in business to serve other people. Mm. And not just to serve other people through the business, but then for the profits in the business to serve humanity on a grand scale. Um, So this could be, you know, this could be uh, the the cliched likes of Elon Musk, Mm -hmm. you know, makes... Someday we'll make a shit ton of money from the commercial ventures. But the commercial ventures, at their core, are ventures designed to impact humanity. Mm. That, that, for me, is a very modern um, manifestation of what I'm talking about. Mm. A slightly older manifestation of, of what I'm talking about is um, you know what Bill and Melinda Gates did, for mm-hmm. example. You know, if you look at some of their earliest interviews, they talk about how um, they want to do something together... Once their kind of commercial lives are not done and dusted, but once they're at the at the back end of their commercial lives, and, yeah. and that that came into um, that came into being, you know, they 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 manifested that vision, that dream into everything that they're doing now through yeah. the through the foundation. An even older manifestation of that would be um, the work that Andrew Carnegie did mm-hmm. on the Gospel of Wealth, where he talks about, um, you know, basically. I'm paraphrasing his words, of course, but he says something along the lines of um, to get rich and live rich is not a sin, but to die rich is a sin. Mm. So this idea that get rich, live rich, have an amazing life, I firmly believe you can have everything. You can have your cake, you can eat the fucking thing and you can share it. I firmly believe that. Yeah. Um, But the people that inspire me are the people that do have their cake, do eat it and do share it and have that as as the,
1: the very core of their being. Mm. I love that. And uh, it's funny you mentioned Carnegie because I actually went to his, um, his birthplace when I was last up in Scotland. Um, it's like this tiny little room in this house and yeah, where he was born. Um, just like, yeah, the, his life in Scotland before he then went over to America with his family. And then obviously he never forgot his roots and brought it back. And obviously the Carnegie Medal and all of that. I just think, you know, what a proud moment for a company to receive are kind of, you know, his, his philanthropy work and, yeah, right. and how it's lived on and the legacy way beyond his lifetime. Absolutely right. Yeah, yeah absolutely right. Beautiful. Phenomenal. Okay. Uh, not always the best questions, but I think they bring, elicit good answers, is uh, let's, start, let's start with negative, actually. Let's start with the worst piece of advice you've, you've received along your journey or in life in general, that you're just like, do not ever listen to that again. <laughs> Or maybe it's something you've done.
0: No, I, I, no, actually. Um, oh, dare I even share this? I'm going to oh. share it. Oh, so do. The okay. best bits of advice and the worst bits of advice mm-hmm. have come from my parents. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, I love them to pieces, absolute pieces. Yeah. But I think that love comes from an acknowledgement that um, none of us are perfect as human beings and yeah. we are predisposed to our conditioning. Mm-hmm. And so... The worst piece of advice, it hasn't, wasn't really v- verbalised advice, mm-hmm. but it was just what I saw them doing. Yes. Um, and it was always this idea that, you know, do not put your money at risk. And this is mm. ironic, considering that's everything I do. <laughs> yes. Um, and I think everything I do is in some way a revolt mm-hmm. against my... Historic conditioning, Mm. which was if you earn a pound, you know you don't allocate that pound into high risk, medium risk, low risk philanthropy, uh, spending money, luxury (laughs) money, holiday money. You don't have six fucking jars. You have one jar, and it's called the savings jar. Mm -hmm. So we didn't get any pocket money. We Mm -hmm. didn't have enough money for pocket money. Yeah. Um, And so this idea and and everything my dad has built, you know, he's he, he. Put us all through university. Actually, he put my brother and sister through university twice for two degrees. Wow! I barely got my first one.
1: <laughs> saved him
0: a ton of money there. So
1: you're you're the favourite child, <laughs> yeah, sure. correct.
0: Um, but ev- everything that they did was work hard, mm. earn, mm. and save. Yeah. Now that works if you don't spend anything.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and I, I'm dead serious. You know, we didn't. I was just thinking the other day. Um, We never bought newspapers when we were young. Mm -hmm. We didn't have satellite subscriptions, obviously, when we were young. Mm. Um, You know, so many things we did not buy in the house Mm -hmm. because they were additional expenses that you could do without. Yeah. And again, my story is not unique. We've all had this. Mm. That had a real impact on me. And I saw my dad retire having worked and saved his entire life and then retire on a pension that was maybe 25% of his salary, <laughs>
2: mm.
0: and then find out that the endowment policy he took out to pay his mortgage off won't pay his mortgage off, and so on and so forth. And mm. I know that many of your listeners will, will have either parents or if they're of an age, they'll, they'll have this same experience. Yes. And what I saw there in terms of the worst advice I've ever been given is... Mm. Um, You can manage your money really, really well, Mm. and you can make next to nothing and manage that next to nothing really well, Mm -hmm. and you'll live a fairly okay life, Mm -hmm. you'll put your kids through school and university, Mm -hmm. um, but you will have to make a shit ton of sacrifices. If you do not spend time and invest time and money into learning how to multiply your money, then no matter what you make and how well you manage it, you will never, ever be in the realms of the top 1% or 2% on the planet. Mm. You you just won't. Yep. So the worst piece of advice I ever got was don't multiply your money because Mm -hmm. that's risky. Yes. In essence.
1: Yeah, like that. And then so that you're saying probably the best advice has come from them as well. Is that probably something you've shared already or in terms of, you know, take what you know and and leverage that or
0: or use that or... So I guess a couple of things, and there's lots and loads and loads of... This is the hardest sure. thing for me. I know, the um, best or whatever, but, yeah. but, yeah, but if, I stick to, if I stick to my parents, mm-hmm. since that's the theme of the moment, <laughs> um, then certainly, you know, that day that I came back from Rwanda and I was in pieces, Catherine, on the floor in my parents' living room, just a fucking 33-year-old boy crying like a freaking six-year-old on absolute tatters. Um, but during that period, the, the two best bits of advice I got really were that wealth is not just money mm-hmm. and you know, in essence, if you want to be actually, let's start again.
1: <laughs> the BT of beauty yeah, of this recording.
0: Um, okay, so the two best bits of advice, or the best bit of advice um, I got. Actually, I would have to say it doesn't come from my parents. So no. I just exposed them for giving me the worst bit. They also <laughs> did give me lots and lots of amazing uh, advice. We've already shared some um, of the amazing we've of it, some yeah. of that. But I think the best thing that I ever heard really was just recalling what John said, which was, you know, you can't make the money. You can't make the difference without making the money and mm. you can't make the money without making a difference. And that links into so many things that my dad said about getting strong to give strong. And, mm. you know, my mum taught me about the holistic nature of wealth and so mm. on. But to sum it up, you yeah. can't make the money without making a difference. And you can't make the difference without making the, the money. money. Beautiful. Really powerful. That is powerful. I love that. So in
1: everything you've done and, uh, and been through and tried to solve yourself or been involved or got yourself into debt trying to solve as well, what... If you could choose just one thing and I, uh, it's got to be one, OK, because I make every guest do this and I've had to answer it myself. So what one thing or problem essentially or challenge that this world is facing, if you had your magic wand and could, it would be solved in an instant, what would that one thing be and why?
0: oh, you fucker, Mm -hmm. can that one thing be the 17 sustainable (laughs) development goals? No, Um, here's something actually that um, I haven't really been thinking about for that long. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's only in context of a talk I gave a few weeks ago where I was talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the the real top level being self-transcendence and so on and so forth. Anyway, so we work back from this top level that he never really published back down to the bottom. And over the next couple of days, um, we do a lot of work with a, a, a site called Kiva.org, which is we give microloans to people. And I've always given loans to individuals on Kiva who are looking for money to buy stock with, Mm -hmm. or they're looking for, you know, some kind of investment in their business Mm -hmm. to help them turn that into a profit. Trade, not aid. But here's the thing. The more I learn and research and are exposed to people who are struggling at the bottom level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the people that, for instance, are on Kiva.org, looking for a few hundred dollars to build a toilet in their house, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: the more I realise that that is the real pinch point for humanity. Mm -hmm. It's people who are struggling at the bottom layer. Mm -hmm. You know, this toilet blocks thing, just as an example, the more research I do into that, and I'm going to highlight my ignorance, and I'm sure your listeners will will know more about this than (laughs) even I do. um, This idea about toilet blocks, toilet blocks at home Mm -hmm. or toilet blocks in school, Mm -hmm. the impact that has on female well-being, particularly over male mm-hmm. female well-being, female achievement, gender equality, good education—like the, the impact that a toilet has on someone's life—is fucking unbelievable. And it's not just about um, cholera or diseases or mm-hmm. sanitation, and you know, it's not just about the health aspects, mm-hmm. but it's about the psychological aspect of now not having to go to toilet in public. Mm-hmm. And I've just been so far removed from that level of need mm-hmm. because I've always assumed, like in the first ever Band-Aid I saw, I'd always assumed that you know, the United Nations would be dropping food parcels, for example. Yeah. So I've always looked at investing in people at their higher levels of need. Mm-hmm. So if there was one problem
2: mm-hmm. I
0: could solve with a magic fucking wand, it would be that every single person, the 7.3 billion people on the planet are no longer struggling at that first level of need. They have that first level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs dealt with. Yeah. So then they can really move towards self actualization
1: mm-hmm. That yeah, would for... be my thing. Love it. And do you know what? And you probably didn't even know this. Our service accommodation business, our ideal service accommodation, every single toilet is twinned with a toilet around the world. Because one in three people around the world, thats is crazy, isn't it? When we think about we have toilets everywhere mm. here in the UK where we are recording this. One in three people around the world do not have access to a sanitary toilet. And for our business or for anyone to do this, to sponsor a latrine and a sanitary toilet, it's £60. Pounds. Not a year, not a month. That's it. Crazy, isn't it? And so our hope is our... You know, one of the things we are doing with our business for business doing good is that every single toilet has got one in. It's got a little plaque. It says that that's what it does. And our aim is that for everyone who stays with us, obviously, we have multiple guests throughout the year. Someone, at least one of those people each year will go, oh, that's a really great idea. And funnily enough, we have one at home as well. And our, my aunt and uncle are around, they're like, I've never seen that before. That's great. We're going to do that as well. And that's it's that ripple effect, isn't it? Amazing, it's like, actually.
0: Absolutely, oh that's beautiful. There
1: you go. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> all comes together. Okay. This is Leveraged Lifestyle Podcast, after all. What does that mean to you? Because I do believe it means something different for everyone.
0: It means being able, I think, to live in alignment with your highest values, whatever they are. So if your highest values are around travel and well, just around travel, mm-hmm. then a leveraged lifestyle means being able. To have everything leveraged and done for you so that you can just focus on travel. Mm -hmm. If your highest value centers around family, it means having everything outsourced and leveraged so that you can spend time with family. Mm -hmm. If your highest value temporarily is around taking your trading methodology out to the world in a big way, then have everything leveraged and outsourced that's going to allow you to do that. Yeah. And so I think it's even more than values. It's being able to live in alignment with your highest priorities mm-hmm. at, at whatever stage of life that you're at. Mm-hmm. And that will mean different things to different people at different stages in their life.
1: Yes, indeed. And it's interesting on the first, uh, it's funny you mentioned Martini. Obviously, he's got the book The Values Factor. I've mentioned that in a previous episode. Also one of the first sort of 10 was around your values, your vision, how that creates then your lifestyle that yeah. you want to so. say. Brilliant. I always feel like it always comes full circle, so it's brilliant. All in the hosting category. Oh, that's it. That's it. Something like that. Okay, we're going to wrap things up. i uh, ask you a few questions, but what is next for you personally? What you're doing with the, the training Academy? What's next?
0: So we've got some, actually, some really exciting stuff happening. There's something I really want to talk to you about, but I can't because it's under wraps and we're doing a big launch. Um, but hopefully when I come Ooh. back... I'll share that with you. Okay, Um, that is, that's my ultimate. Mm -hmm. You know, what we're this idea of redistributing a billion pounds is everything that we're working towards, and we're about to 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 launch something big related to that. Amazing. What's going to help us to do that is really to make sure that we get as many, you know, heart led, socially minded individuals into our trading academy and mm-hmm. teach them how to grow their capital at 20, 30% a year in an hour a week. That's the main thing for us. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the new academy has been running for a year now. Mm-hmm. We've tested the, the course material. We've tested everything on about 100 students. The results have been off the scale, which now gives me the confidence I need to scale that massively yeah. over the next 12, 24 and 36 months. Okay. Um, so, from a business perspective, that's definitely it. I think, from a, um, a, a, a more spiritual, personal growth, introspective perspective, um, I really think it's around deepening my understanding of human potential, mm-hmm. deepening my understanding. Um, Joe Dispenza calls it becoming superhuman. Mm-hmm. So, really deepening my understanding around this concept of becoming superhuman. And I'll tell you why that is, um, if I might. Our target market, our target audience in my mind was people just like me. Mm -hmm. Um, People who love money, who love giving money away, (laughs) who love doing nice shit for other people, (laughs) who love having nice shit for themselves. In essence, they might drive V8 sports cars, but in order to do that, they buy 10 acres of land and plant a thousand trees. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's this idea that you can (laughs) hug and love trees as much as you hug and love money. (laughs) Yes. So I'd always thought that our target market were the spiritual end of the personal development industry. Mm. And I still think they are, except for the fact that I just get so much backlash from them. It's fucking unbelievable. You know, so funny, I'm, I'm considered a heathen in some spiritual circles <laughs> because I'm a trader. Yeah. And I'm tarred with the same brush. And, mm-hmm. and that's fine because people can only do what's in their consciousness to do. Mm-hmm. But I feel that if I'm able to deepen my understanding of spirituality, of human potential, from a, a, a kind of a, a very much a superhuman sense, as Joe Dispenza calls it then I'm going to be able to have much better Mm. um, educated conversations with the people who I really want to attract into this academy Mm. of the heart-led, socially-minded, spiritually-inclined individuals who have a connection to source and who have a passion to serve humanity on a grand scale and who see this idea that people, planet, flora and fauna, we're all one. Yeah. But they don't ever want to be traders, which is my challenge.
1: Anyway. Okay. It's uh, so interesting, isn't it? We'll put everything in the show notes as well. But in terms of where would you like people to come and find you? Is there a social media that you want people to come and connect with you on? Is there a website they can come and find out
0: more? Do you know uh, what I would really, really love? If, as a listener, you have resonated with anything Catherine and I have shared today, um, I would love you to join our free beginners class mm-hmm. at www.madmillionairemethod.com. Cool. So www.madmillionairemethod.com. Okay. Join the free class, come and see what we're all about um, and see if we can't help you to, you know, join the journey towards being a mad millionaire.
1: Fantastic. We'll put that in there. Uh, and if you want to just see what Dylan's more about, we'll, we'll make sure that's in the show notes. Uh, and one of the things um, I did want to share, so this is... Uh, well, we're announcing it here first on the podcast uh, is the fact that I am super delighted that Dylan is going to be one of the speakers at our Leverage Lifestyle Summit uh, this October in London. And um, yeah, I suppose what I what should people expect from you, I suppose, in the flesh?
0: <laughs> so um, firstly, I'm just so grateful to be asked. It is just beautiful to have watched you grow and to have watched how much you've built and in essence, to have seen you um, pretty much, it's been a bit like the tortoise and the hare. Mm-hmm. You've, you, know, you were sitting on a seat whilst <laughs> I was up on stage. And now I am sitting on a seat while you are on stage, <laughs> uh, metaphorically. So no, it's been really beautiful watching you grow. And I'm so grateful and humbled to be asked. Um, in the flesh, we're going to be doing a couple of things. So we're really going to be speaking about this idea of leveraging capital. Mm-hmm. And I'm also going to be speaking about, we touched on it earlier in the podcast. We're really going to be speaking about this idea of keeping wealth creation really simple, of understanding what the nest egg looks like, what your insurance and your hedging looks like, and what your trading world looks like. Right. So it's a, it's in essence, a, a model for wealth. Mm mm-hmm but not just any old wealth, Mm. real, lasting and redistributable wealth. Yes. That's kind of what we're going to be sharing.
1: Brilliant. And I think one of the reasons that I particularly asked Dylan, uh, there's plenty of people I could have asked, but what for me was that Dylan has a way to leverage your money, leverage his knowledge, but equally has just the ethics, the morals, the values in all of that are just everything that I think us at the Idol Collective as well, me personally, Stephen, um, and kind of all our our team as well can really get behind. And I think everyone who listens to Leverage Your Lifestyle, I, I think you are the same in that sense of that you want to do it for good. Um, you want longevity, you want, you know, profitability with sustainability, with ethics behind that all. Um, and I think just really what you share encompasses all of that. So, Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I'm really excited for what you're going to share there um, as well at the summit. And you know, if you're looking for anything in terms of how you leverage your leverage your capital uh, more effectively, more efficiently with an hour a week, I think you're going to love what Dylan's got to share as well. So um, yeah, so we're going to go obviously more in depth than we could ever have done on this podcast, um, and uh, I'm hopefully going to drag them on to the uh, the speakers' dinner and VIP dinner at the the end as well. So uh, do join us there if you've not already got your ticket. Remember to go to bit.ly forward slash LL Summit 2019 and uh, make sure you register for the VIP notification list and yeah, I'm really excited this, this, is, this has been great thank, thank you so you. much Dylan for, for coming on
0: oh thank you, um, as I said I hope there's some useful stuff in there for I think, you and for your people
1: I think it's brilliant um, but I, um, I'll sign off in my usual way of that uh, I believe there is no better time than now to start creating your leveraged lifestyle thank you everyone for listening thank you